Hey, drama listeners. We hope everyone is staying safe and healthy and well. The episode you're about to hear was recorded before the entire nation came together to support and protest for the justice of the black community in America. That's why you won't hear us discussing it with our amazing special guest. If you're not ready to listen to content that's unrelated to the good work we all need to be doing, we get it. We'll be here for you when you're ready. Please see the episode description in our Instagram bio for a guide to resources for you to find the best way to support the black community. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Press play, curtain of an hour in, it's time to take skin, the shade and tea to spill, ooh, drama, oh, that's a tweet, did they book, who got an they option, no, oh, I'm not well, what, what star will, will we, we talk, talk to today? today, oh, that's a gag, honey, say no more, drama, drama, welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life in, in New, York New York City. I am Connor. And I'm Dylan. And welcome back to everyone from this special Cleveland edition episode of Drama in more ways than one. But we'll get to that Ooh. shortly. Um, before we bring in our guest, I do want to make note that this week would have been the week of the Tony Awards. And, you know, it's my favorite time of the year. Every year, it's just like Christmas. And I need to share what I would have thought have happened this week. Okay, I'm ready. And, you know, we didn't talk about this in advance. I'm ready. I'm shaking. I'm ready for this, Dylan. Oh, my gosh. You probably can predict what I'm going to say. Well, the one, the one thing we have talked about at nauseam, I do know, which yes. is your prediction for who would have been nominated and one leading actor. But anyway, continue. That's right. Now, the, what my stipulation for this was it was only shows that opened with the exception of six, which should have opened. So that is the only other thing that's considered in here. So I do believe that Aaron Tveit would have won Best Leading Actor in a Musical. I've long held that candle, and it's, it was long time for him to be. Well, because the other nominees would have been... Yeah, I mean, it could... I Sorry, we, I keep cutting you off, Connor. That's okay. Isaac Powell in West Side Story, maybe. Probably. Mm-hmm. Flying, flying Over Sunset never happened, so neither of those two guys... Maybe Brennick O'Connor for Sing Street... Which also never happened. Yeah, so, I mean, it was a wide-open category this year. It would have been Aaron Tveit. Probably Rob McClure for Doubtfire as well, but that didn't open, so that's not... So it literally would have been Aaron Tveit. It would have been... would have. Yep, it would have been this year. Adrian Warren would have been the best leading actress in a musical. Would have had Danny Bernstein for best featured actor. Long overdue as well. Yeah, hasn't he been nominated for, like, a million Tonys? Many. The, the male Susan Lucci at this point. <laughs> um, and then, of course, probably Patti LuPone would have been featured actress in a musical. Or they would have done what they did with Six in London, where they co-nominated all six girls for the featured actress award for the wow. Olivia. Wow! Like, very, like, Billy Elliot. Which like, is fully like cracked. Elliot. It's Billy Elliot. I'd say it's more similar to, like, Alice and Emily in Sideshow. Iconic. But still so, I mean, so crazy. But having seen Six, they do all share the same amount of stage time and vocal lines. You know what's funny? I feel like people talk more about the shared nomination between Alice and Emily than they do about the win for the Billy Elliots. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, they do. I wonder why. Maybe it's because, like, the theater gays love their divas. I think that's got to be it. And then, of course, you know, I think the play would have been a tie between the inheritance and slave play. I love the idea of a tie. We rarely see them anymore. Um, I would think all the men from the inheritance would have won. I think Lois Smith from the inheritance would have won featured actress. These are hot takes. She would have. Yeah, she could have been nominated Mm. for sure. There were so many plays, though. I know. And I do think Best Director would have gone to Diane Paulus for A Jagged Little Pill. And I think, I think Jagged Little Pill would have won if only because no other original shows, like non-jukebox shows, opened. And she's unreal. Even though it's technically jukebox? Well, because that would have been the only options. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Granted, there have been jukebox musicals that have won Best Musical in the past. Jersey Boys being an example. Technically, uh, Crazy for You being another example. Your knowledge here is like, it's shaking me. I know. All this Tony talk is making me think about our guest today. (gasps) Who is a Tony nominee. Oh my God. That's right. And I'm going to go ahead and bring him in if that's all right, Connor. Please do. All right. Our guest today is truly 
living the dream as a Cleveland boy turned Broadway sensation. A homegrown Ohio native, he was both Tony-nominated and Drama Desk-nominated for his star turn as Elder McKinley in the Book of Mormon on Broadway, where he tapped and sang Turn It Off for just about two years. He made his Broadway debut in the 25th annual Putnam Counting Spelling Bee and starred as Richie Cunningham in the Los Angeles production of Happy Days, the musical. He has been seen in the Dreamgirls movie. Yes, the movie. You know him from the Cadillac car scene. Um... American Princess on Lifetime, Bob's Burgers, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, in a, in a truly cracked and legendary moment, um, The Good Wife, Modern Family, and so much more, and will be in the upcoming TV series Central Park on Apple TV+. He is the co-founder of Broadway Impact and one of the few actors to appear in not one but two Broadway smash revolution sensations as he most recently appeared as King George III in Hamilton. He has his own theater podcast called Living the Dream, as well as hosts the Geffen Theater's Unscripted podcast. Please welcome to drama, Rory Rory O'Malley. O'Malley. Hi, guys. Rory, how are you? I'm so good. Thanks for having me, Dylan and Connor. This is great. I'm, I was already itching to dive into that conversation. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. It was. <laughs> it, um, yeah, no, it, it's really nice to be here. And, you know, especially over uh, a distance to talk about like Broadway. I'm mm-hmm. in Los Angeles right now. We were about to open up Hamilton in, in LA and my family's here. So we bet we were settled in and missing New York so much, but I was lucky enough to get to be in New York twice over the last six months. So I got to see uh, quite a few of those shows oh that God. you were talking about. So I kind of, I kind of keep thinking like, Oh, I don't know anything that would have even opened this season, but I saw slave play. I saw the inheritance. I saw, um, what else did I see? I didn't see a lot of the musicals because I thought, oh, I'm going to come back and the musicals will all be open. I always go, like, if I go, I feel like I have to see the plays. They're always short runs. They're short runs. And I'm like, oh, the musical will be back and I'll be back. It'll still be there. But um, I definitely loved. loved Do you think I'm completely delusional with some of my choices for the winner? (laughs) No, but you loved Moulin Rouge. I'll tell you that. Okay. I didn't see and Moulin very fair. Rouge. Because that was one of the ones where I was like, oh, that'll be oh, yes. running forever. So I'm going to come mm-hmm. see that later on next year. Um, but yeah, I mean, Danny Burstein is oh, yeah. my hero. I mean, there it doesn't get better than him. So he should get a Tony Award for whatever <laughs> he's doing on that stage, even though I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's brilliant. And uh, Aaron Tveit, I mean... He's yeah. fantastic, so I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I love Lois Smith in mm-hmm. in The Inheritance. That was like a real wait for oh, it. yeah. Appearance because she doesn't show up for days. <laughs> literally, if you see it over day, you're like, "Where is she in this thing? Where is she?" You know. I just was watching um, the movie Fried Green Tomatoes with my husband, and she popped up in it. I didn't rem- remember that she plays the mom in the like old story with Mary Louise Parker and, and Mary Stuart Weston. Wow. So legends. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So she definitely should, should be considered. It's, it's, it's one of the last shows that I saw on Broadway is the inheritance. And the fact that a play about um, a plague had to be shut down because of this mm. current plague is all too, all too yeah. real, you know, makes us realize that, you know, maybe the entire country hasn't gone through something like this in the last hundred years, but that the theater community and the gay community went through it uh, in the, in the eighties and nineties and they didn't have anywhere near as many resources and attention being put on it as we do now. That honestly gives me chills that you even bring that up. And then of course today, I mean, this episode will come out in two weeks, but Larry Kramer's passing, of course, reminds us all of the AIDS epidemic and everything that was going on and the art that's come out of things like that. And wow, the fact that a play about a pandemic, oh, wow, Rory, that is like mind blown. Yeah, that we lost Larry Kramer today in the middle of, of this. The reason that we are even talking about getting a vaccine 12 to 18 months from now and talking about finding different cocktails of, of drugs that might be able to, to help are, are because of activists like Larry Kramer and ACT UP and those groups in the 80s that 
literally had to scream and climb on buildings for, for there to be enough attention to the AIDS virus. I mean, just imagine the president at that time didn't say the word AIDS for years. He didn't say the word. So imagine, you know, as awful as this current administration is, if they didn't say the word COVID mm-hmm. or coronavirus, because they just didn't want to even, they want to pretend like it wasn't happening. And it was a a definite death death sentence at that time. So that's such a great way to put that into perspective. It's it's something that I did I did the audiobook. I've done one audiobook and I did the audiobook of How to Survive a Plague, which was a, a you know a documentary of the same name, but this is like a 700 page book. It's 24 hours if you want to listen to it of me for 24 hours, but it's the story of Act Up and how normal everyday people fought their government to get treatments for HIV and AIDS. And uh, it's, it's a hell of a story. It's a really important story to know right now. And to, to know that like Larry Kramer, who is a playwright who wrote the normal heart, who is, you know, made a name for himself in the theater world in, in, and was also a person who was responsible for for making so much happen, you know, uh, saving lives. It's it's just so inspiring to me. So he's it's a great loss to our community and to the world that Larry Kramer passed today. But it's just another. I don't know. It it's really reminds me how how important it is to stay active and vocal as theater artists um, because theater can change hearts and minds. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of plays dealing with um, this virus going forward. Absolutely. That, that honestly, that all just gives me so much chills. That's, that's so true. Rory, we need to jump in though and ask you a question that we do ask all of our guests, but we don't tell you in advance about this question. It's, it's very Uh-oh. simple. We just want to know, are you well? I am well. Thank you very, very much for asking. Um, I'm good. I'm here in Los Angeles with my husband and our 18-month-old son, Ugh. Jimmy, who is as happy as can be and doesn't know that anything bad is going on. <laughs> and um, and my mom is here. She was coming out to help while I was opening Hamilton and was going to be spending so much time at the theater for the whole month of March. So she came from Cleveland. That's right. And, uh, and so she's, she's stuck here, (laughs) which, you know, she's, she's happy to be stuck with her, her grandson. I don't think she cares too much about being stuck with me and Gerald, my husband, but she (laughs) loves being with her or the grandchild. And so that's definitely a silver lining for us is getting to spend so much time with her. Oh, I'm sure your mom is in heaven. I remember the episode of living the dream where she came on and she just seemed like the sweetest most genuine person. I mean, of course, to raise you, she has to be, but like, I'm sure that she's a delight to have around. She is, she's amazing. She's, she's the best and she's been incredibly helpful. And, you know, I'm sure Gerald and I would have killed each other at this point if we didn't have her as, um, you know, another person to help out or just to be a witness, (laughs) Um, you know, like we are probably just in a a better mood just in general. You know, I think right now it's because we're all so isolated. Having any interaction with anyone is so, uh, I don't know, just so desired. Talking to you guys right now, this is so great, you know, being able to have conversations with people. I think we're all going to have a lot more gratitude for any kind of human interaction going forward. We really will. Also, Rory, you're the first father we've ever had on our podcast. Oh. Unless, actually, you know what? We had Tyler Haynes on and he's kind of like our daddy <laughs> of the um. podcast. But you, you're the, you're the daddy and the first father. And I think you're the first person we've ever had on who's married. No, wait, Christina Alabato. Oh, uh, okay. Wait, she's, not, she's married too. But anyway, wait, how did you meet Gerald? Uh, we were set up. Um, and it's an interesting story because it was, I was doing happy days, the musical, as you had mentioned in my, in my, um, resume there. Uh, I was Richie Cunningham for Gary Marshall in happy days, the musical for years. I did it here in Los Angeles. And then we did it at the paper mill playhouse and the good speed opera house. 
And I did it multiple, multiple times. And Gary said, Rory, one more time at the Good Speed Opera House. And I was like, oh, Gary, I, I don't think I can do it right now. You know, and I had a million excuses, but I loved Gary Marshall so much. He was a great man. And he, he asked me if I would do it. And I came to do the show. And one of the ensemble members said, you should meet my friend, Gerald. I think you guys would really hit it off. And that was in 2008. And we uh, started dating right away. And we got married in 2014. So we've been together 12 years, married almost six, and it's all because of Happy Days, the musical, and I almost turned that job down. So, you know, it's given, that job gave me a lot, and Gary Marshall and that whole crew gave me so much, but having somebody um, introduce us from that show really was the best thing, of course. That was our buddy, Zach Frank. Shout out to Zach. That's so cute. Where was your first date at? Um, Our first... First date was at oh my god I always forget the name of this place the Mexican place on fiftieth in um, New World Stages Blockheads Blockheads I love Blockheads we love Blockheads I like Block it out okay so we met it's so funny because we actually met there after I saw uh, Aaron Tavet in Hairspray and a few other friends who were in Hairspray. Um, at that time, because it was mm-hmm. one of those shows, Hairspray, um, that everybody I knew from Spelling Bee was oh, yeah. in that show. And, you know, it was, I saw a chorus line like six times because you got to see this person is taking, he's going on for this person. So um, it just was one of those shows. But I saw that show that night when I was home for uh, the day or two days off from doing Happy Days the Musical and got introduced by my friend Zach Frank, Zach Frank to... Oh, I love that. That's so inspiring. And yeah, it was, that was April 22nd, 2008. And it was the night that Hillary Clinton beat Barack Obama in the Pennsylvania primary. And the reason I remember that is because I looked at my phone at one point at this date and said, oh my gosh, Clinton won. And Gerald said you're kidding me. You're into show choir too. And I was like, what? And I was like, I don't know what that even means. <laughs> and he said, Clinton Attaché in Mississippi, the best show choir in the entire country. <laughs> and I was like, I don't even know what show choir is. I went to St. Ignatius. We didn't, we, right? we had church choir. <laughs> um, and uh, that kind of just demonstrates our relationship. Well, right. Cause oh he's, he's a civilian, right? He's a civilian, yeah. But he loves he loved show choir growing up, and he loves Broadway. He is a I am a huge Broadway fan. I don't hold a candle to to Gerald. He has to see everything. Um, he is a huge film and TV fan, so he can. He's a really he's he's a very well-educated and informed fan of Broadway and everything else. So. I love that. That kind of reminds me of me and my boyfriend because he's an actor and he's still in school mm-hmm. though. And I'm like not a performer, but I'm yeah. like on the other side of things in a way. And I have to see everything and I'm all obsessed. In fact, also to plug your podcast, yeah. Living the Dream, there's a great episode where Gerald comes on and you talk and it's so yes. good. I know. So far it's like we've talked about my, I know. my mom. <laughs> My husband is like, I swear I did talk to people outside of my house. At some you, you had like Gavin Creel and just amazing guests. You know, it's funny that, and my, my husband loves this, is that somebody suggested that I have my husband on and I thought that's ridiculous. Why would I have Gerald on? But my podcast was really about the reality of the business and the reality of living the dream. And I tried to kind of cut through all of the, the bullshit of, of, you know, just Twitter and social media. And there's no one who can do that better than my husband about what it's like to be a civilian, to be a real person and to be married to an actor who, you know, you have to deal with an actor's ego a lot of the time uh, when you're with some, one of them. So good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you, Roy. And so you guys were still dating at the time of you going through Book of Mormon and the Tony season mm. where you guys were the toast of the town. Okay, because, and I, I, you told the story before, but I love the story you tell about when the winner, when you, okay, so you were nominated <laughs> for a Tony for Book of Mormon, uh-huh. and unfortunately you did not win. Right. But Gerald turned to you. Right. And said, I'm sorry, I don't, 
date losers. That's right. Or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we were, we were dating. We had been together for, I don't know, really just like three or four years at that point. But, um, you know, no one's supported me more than Gerald. No one's put up with more of the annoying parts of, of our business than, than Gerald. And so he, you know, when he was with me, I had been in dream girls. I had been on Broadway, but I wasn't working. I, once I left happy days, I was looking for work in an office and there was the the great recession in 2008, 2009. And I, I could forget about a theater job. I couldn't find a job and it was a very scary time. And he always, uh, stood by me and, you know, uh, was there for me. I, I remember in 2009, I worked for the U.S. Census and was knocking on doors at, in New York City, which was so scary, asking people how many were, people were in their apartment. And uh, he stood by my side. And so to be able to sit with him at the Tonys, you know, an event that we both loved so much. And um, it was also great because my mom was there and I had other family and friends there. But my mom was sitting up in the mezzanine and, you know, she was kind of far away and there was some distance. And so I think that if anyone else had been sitting next to me, they would be like, Oh, it's going to be okay. You know, or something that I didn't really need to hear. I just needed someone to make me laugh. Um, so I could enjoy the rest of the show and not have to make them feel better. Uh, but it was, you know, it was one of the best nights of my life. And, uh, people congratulate me on winning the Tony all the time. (laughs) It's like, Oh, thanks. (laughs) Who did win that year? Yeah. Who did win? John Larroquette for How to Succeed in Business. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was that year. Yeah, with Daniel Radcliffe. And he was phenomenal. I mean, I, I saw everything on Broadway that season, which was hard because we could only mm-hmm. go on the days off. But he was phenomenal. And, you know, you become really close with people in your category. Like um, Coleman Domingo uh, was uh, this, was nominated for the Oh, he's great. Boys and... Uh, oh, he's fabulous. He's just, yeah, he's amazing. And and people always say like, oh, um, who I I think they got it wrong on who won the Tony that year. And Gerald goes, yes, it should have gone to Coleman Domingo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so cute. That's so good. Oh, I wasn't even his second choice. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, like I said earlier, like you've been a part of these two gigantic hits. Like that, like how lucky, like how cool is that? Like you're like the the male version of Adina Menzel. You know, she had Rent and Wicked and Frozen. And so you've had now Book of Mormon and Hamilton. I'm going to use that as my Twitter profile, the male version <laughs> Seriously. of Adina Menzel. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I can't believe that I can say that I was a part of the Book of Mormon and Hamilton and continue to be a part of that world. Like, you know, like I'm still so lucky to be on text chains with my buddies from the Book of Mormon to be, you know, still in in the world of Hamilton and to be making graduation videos. We're doing like as much as we can while we're not on stage to, to, connect with the audience for Hamilton. And, you know, I grew up in Cleveland, not too far from where you guys are. And I just hoped that I would be able to perform on a stage. I don't, I just, this is talk about beyond your wildest dreams. It's just never occurred to me that shows could even be this big, let alone that I would get to be a part of a part of them. So it's, it's surreal. And I am very grateful. And when Book of Mormon happened, I was like, you know, this is the Irish Catholic in me. I was mm-hmm. like, well, that's it. It's all over. And then Hamilton happened. I was like, okay, well now <laughs> it's really over. And you know what? Now hey, maybe it is. Um, but, but I, I, you know, anytime I want to try to complain about something in the business, you know, cause I've certainly had my ups and downs. I, I really I can't because these two shows have just been so, so wonderful. And like you said, continue to be when, when it was announced that you were going to be doing Hamilton again, I was like, Oh, finally, maybe we'll get to see him do it because we were home for like a little summer vacation trip in Cleveland when the Hamilton tour was here. And we were like, 
I think I started this mm. rumor to try and like will it into existence, but I was like, well, Rory's going to come back to Cleveland and do King George. Just it's like his hometown crowd. Yeah. Wasn't it like a six week stop or something? Yeah. Wow. I don't, I, someone, someone in the company, like a, a company management asked me if I wanted to do that, which I would have done in a heartbeat, but I was filming a TV show. Okay. I was filming American Princess that summer. So I couldn't do it. If I could have done both things, that's, that totally would have happened. Uh, because, you know, doing theater in Cleveland is, that, that's, no one realizes how much of a theater town Cleveland mm-hmm. is. There are so many community theaters. There are so many theater fans. So, you know, my dreams of becoming an actor happened at Playhouse Square and, and seeing shows. Same. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? The same. I think this is the perfect opportunity to kind of segue into our one of our like um, benchmark questions of the podcast, where we always talk to our guests about their Ring of Keys moment, not necessarily in like a sexuality way as it is in Fun Home, but in like a, um, in an entertainment business way when you saw a show mm-hmm. or saw a movie or something that's made you realize that this was the life you were going to embark upon. Do you, ha- do you have like a specific moment that you can recall? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of a two part because I was cast <laughs> cast. I got the role of Joseph St. Joseph in the Christmas pageant at our lady of angels when I was in second grade. And my aunt Piggy Ann was the, second grade teacher, Mrs. Gibbons. And so it was total nepotism. Um, But that's as far as my family could carry me through this business. Uh, But it was, it was a big deal to me. And I remember uh, going on stage and they didn't let anybody on stage have lines. They had kids reading from a script off stage into a microphone and those you gotcha. know, so it was like giving more people parts and I was so mad I was like this is my line and this this guy is taking away my line this guy another child and um so I memorized <laughs> all the lines and I mouthed them I, I mouthed them it was my first lip sync I think um for your legacy for my legacy and um so I was clearly very dedicated to it. And I remember sitting my mom down after that performance at Our Lady of Angels and saying, don't laugh at me, but I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be an actor. I remember the feeling right before the curtain parted in the primary school building and went, you know, that I could hear the audience on the other side of it and that we were about to share with them this story that we worked on. And, you know, I'm a big guy from Cleveland I had been forced to so many football practices and basketball and, you know, so many things where I was told I should love that. And I always felt like, oh, I don't, maybe I don't feel things the way that other people Mm do. But to be on that stage and to not know how to contain my excitement was, it was a new experience. And eight, eight years old, that is just, it's a gift. It's a blessing. And, you know, it's I, you realize the older you get, how lucky you are if something does excite you or makes you that happy. So I'm glad that I had a mom who enrolled me in the Beck Center uh, for the arts, the children's theater. Yes, we love the Beck Center. Yes, yeah. and I went there for ten years, took their children's theater classes, uh, went to Saint Ignatius, did all the plays there. Um, but really, it was it was because of Our Lady of Angels and that and that that day. Um, that it changed my life. That was definitely my ring of keys. Oh, that's so, that's a beautiful answer, Rory. I love it. Wait, Rory, I have to tell you, I just thought of this. And in 2016, you did a solo show at 54 Below. Mm-hmm. In my basement. Songs from In My Basement? Yeah. Songs from My Basement. Rory, I have to tell you. And like, I, know, I don't normally like to like gush on the podcast, that is save that for when the microphones turn off. When it's off, I know we got we got like we we started this podcast and we were like raving to our guests about how much we love them, and then we got so much feedback where people were like, "Stop like making them feel weird." Like you're like raving about them, like you're like talking to them at the stage door. Like, Wait, just, do like, they know normal. any actors? <laughs> like, no, actors are mm-hmm. okay with you telling them how great they are. <laughs> but I have to say that performance at at fifty four below songs from inside my basement 
is in my like top five favorite things I have ever seen in my entire wow. life. Wow, thank you so much. I, of course, you know what? I went into it like knowing who you were, of course, and you had done a few of the shows there and Dylan's coworkers were like, it's not like anything we really have here normally. They were like, this is different. It's almost like a, it's, it's, it, it is a ca- in a cabaret venue, but it feels like it could be an off-Broadway one-man show. And it, truly, it was beautiful. There oh, were yeah. moments I was crying. I was laughing. It was hysterical. It was so heartfelt. And you were talking about things that like excite you. And I remember walking away from it being like, you know what? It doesn't have to be a broad, a, you know, a huge Broadway show to make you feel like, wow, this is why I love the arts. It can be this intimate life story of a man that's so vulnerable and just honest and chef's kiss. It was, it was amazing. Well, that means a lot to me because it, it was vulnerable. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was definitely like, oh, leaving it all out there at, at four <laughs> below. Let's see what happens. But it was, uh, it was really important to me. You know, like some, some t- I, I did another show before that called mm-hmm. Pub Crawl that um, w- was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was performing that show. So 54 Below doing, the, doing that show out of the basement was... Um, it, it, it felt like, okay, I can do this. But then as soon as it started, I, I, I had that feeling of, why did I agree to do this? <laughs> what is wrong with me? I could be sitting at home eating chips. This is insane. <laughs> and it's because you get scared to be vulnerable. So I really appreciate you saying that. Um, that show, I, 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 don't, I can't even like, uh, I, I've only did it, I did it twice. You know, I mean, like it was two nights and I'm so glad I, I did it. And I'm sure that, you know, as we get, as, as things come back, I will look into doing more performances, especially in 54 Below and those kinds of venues, because that's my favorite. I love connecting with an audience of about 100 people while everyone's drinking and eating and and trying to show a part of myself and really just tell a story because really at the end of the day, I'm just, I come from a family of Irish bullshitters where we just sit around and everyone tries to make each other mm-hmm. laugh and tell oh, a yeah. great story. And that's, um, that's, you know, what that show was for me. And, um, you know, I hope I get to get in, but thank you so much. Cause that, that really, really means more to me than, than, you know, so thanks for even going. There was a moment during the show, I think you sing, was it called sail away or something? Is it like a modest mouse? Oh yeah. Float on. Yeah, Float yeah. on. Oh my God. I chill. That was like the part where I was sobbing. You know, that famous song sail away. Sail by away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Come sail away. Yeah. That's a good one. But no, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. The the Modest Mouse song is something that haunts me. That whole sequence was just so brilliant. Ah, oh, we could go on and on and talk about that forever. You also inspired me because mm-hmm. we had never seen Beaches. Oh, and I remember my we went, we God. watched it after your show. That is, if if there's one thing in my life that I can accomplish, it's to get the children to watch Beaches. <laughs> Come on. That's amazing. That makes me even more happy that you watched Beaches, <laughs> which I just watched again. And I, we limit my 18-month-old son's screen time. Good. I did pull him in to watch some CC Bloom and Beaches. Okay, yeah. We need to talk about Jimmy O'Malley, the sweet young boy. And he is the cutest baby. I mean, oh, how old is he now? You said almost two? Eight, 18 months. Oh, my yeah. God. Which I know, like when you don't have a kid, you're like, why is why are you, they counting in months? And then you have a kid, and you're like, it is so different from twelve months to eighteen months that you're like, you know, yes, he's one, but it's it's wild. I mean, he just started walking at nine months, and now he's running. Nine months later, he's running away from us when we go out for walks around the block, like an athlete. Do you sense any musical abilities yet, or? His first word was dance. Great. So I am worried that he's going to be a dancer and not a singer, mm. but uh, which only because I don't, <laughs> I don't have much to add to that, you know, other than my tap number. Yeah. <laughs> Legendary tap um, number. Yes. Yes. Iconic. But uh, no, he loves music. He loves it. He, you know, we're starting to watch Sesame Street and he gets so excited to, to hear Elmo sing. 
but um, I think he, I'm I'm afraid to say I think he's an athlete. <laughs> he yeah. Oh no. You know, I I think there's a lot of um, time in the stands in my future cheering cheering him on, which is great. I mean, he's I, I'm so thrilled. He loves swimming he loves running he's like jumping very advanced he's like kicking the soccer ball in our our backyard and can throw a ball these are things that an 18 month old really shouldn't be doing so uh i cannot do any of those things exactly i'm i'm actually doing them with him now because i was like (laughs) this is my only shot to be better at him than in the future, like he'll be teaching me how to play catch. Oh yeah. And it'll be very embarrassing. You might have a future St. Ignatius wildcat on your hands. Oh, I threaten that uh-huh. all the time to my uh-huh. husband. And he's like, are you out of your mind? We're not <laughs> like, we're not, we don't live in Cleveland. Yeah. Can't. I was like, Hey, all schools online now. So that's true. That's so true. <laughs> we, we almost went to Ignatius because we were like very really? lured by Mr. Fujimoto and your uh, program. Yeah. It, Ultimately yes. didn't go that way, but we would saw shows there for years and amazing theater program. Yeah. Yes. Fuji was an amazing drama teacher and uh, definitely was the reason he and Art Thomas, they, they just had a, a great program over there and we did all of our shows. I mean, there wasn't a, a great theater like there is now when I was there, it was all in the cafeteria. So, oh Yes. Uh, it was great back then, though. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing, like, Smokey Joe's Cafe there and Evita. And they had, like, some local talent from, like, Magnificat or something come in and play the role. Like, just, you know, classic. Yeah. So fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We had the best ladies because they could come from all over Cleveland, mm-hmm. you know, wherever. It, it didn't matter where they went to school. So we were lucky in that way. Did you have, a like, a high school-defining role? Um. Yeah, I, I I guess Sky Masterson and in, in Guys and Dolls, um, because it was one of the worst onstage mishaps that I've ever had. I came into the revival scene looking for Nathan Detroit, mm-hmm. and I walked in, burst into the door, and I said, "Has anyone seen Sky Masterson?" <laughs> and then I looked at the audience and I said, "Wait a minute, I'm Sky Masterson." <laughs> And it literally was the biggest laugh I've ever gotten in my career. So that defined me. That's amazing. Sure. You mm-hmm. thought on your feet. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Yeah. But I did a bunch of the shows at Magnificat as well. I did the girls' school shows. I was Julian Marsh in 42nd Street and uh, Billy and Anything Goes. Wow. so fun. So you were a dancer. Oh, no. Billy just sways. Okay, okay. <laughs> and Julian just says, keep dancing. So was Turn It Off in Book of Mormon always like a big tap number then? Like, cause you say that that was like your only dancing credit. No, I mean, I, when I first started working on the Book of Mormon, it was, first of all, it was five songs and Turn It Off wasn't one of them. Okay. The first reading we ever did, the, the boys went to Africa by themselves. They never met Mormons when they got there. So I think the producers were like, Matt and Trey, you can't hire 12 white guys for the first two numbers and then they never come back. Like we need to incorporate this into the story. And so they had, they were joined the mission when they got there. Thank God for me and my buddies. (laughs) And so they, I think it was like the second reading where they were like, Hey, you did this funny bit and hello, where I kept pressing the doorbell over and over. And so we want you to play this character, Elder McKinley, and he's going to have a couple of extra lines. And then the next reading was like, here's this song, turn it off. You're going to sing the beginning of it. And then it was like, okay, there's a whole verse about him being closeted gay. And so it was uh, over the course of those three readings that turn it off came about and nobody was dancing at all. And so before we did the first workshop, they were like, oh, you tap dance, right? Because we're going to turn this into a big tap number. And I was like, oh, yes. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't tell them that I got a D in tap at Carnegie Mellon. <laughs> and so I quickly like went to Broadway Dance Center and tried to just be in tap one and like re-familiarize myself with, with everything. And um and then when they would teach sequences to me, you know, and I had said, I, I, I'm not a 
a good dancer and it's not that they needed me to tell them, <laughs> but I would literally rehearse that number like for hours every wow. day. And I was lucky enough that we did two workshops. So, you know, I was able to learn tap through the workshops and not just that rehearsal period. And if there was an audition for Elder McKinley and they said like, hey, come and you know, you have to do this tap sequence. Well, I never would have gotten the job. Never, ever, ever, ever in a million years. So the only way that my story happens is because I was able to go through the workshop process before it became a tap number. And Casey Nicola, who choreographed our show, has wonderful patience in it and is clearly an actor's choreographer because he's, he, that's how he articulates all of his moves is by telling the story, which is what a good choreographer for musical theater, especially musical comedy, does. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for a more patient, wonderful choreographer to get me through the finish line on that. Oh my God. The thing I hear about Casey Nicola is just that he is the, the greatest human. He's wonderful. And um, he came along to the process a couple of years into it. And it like gave it a shot of adrenaline in the arm that really made us a hit. I really believe that, you know, him coming along is, is what, what the show needed. And um, he's incredible. That's why he does like a million shows every year <laughs> and it never stops working. A million. In Turn It Off, you know what I was thinking about? I've seen Book of Mormon. I've actually never seen it on Broadway, but I've seen it at ah, Playhouse Square. Very nice. Like two or three times. But in Turn It Off, it, this is like a mild spoiler to those people who haven't seen who Book of Mormon yet. Well, it's been nine years. Um, if they haven't done it yet, they... <laughs> um, when the first time the lights turn off, mm-hmm. it's a gag. And then the second time, when you're wearing the sequin right. vests, yeah, even better. It like it, it is like musical comedy choreography. That's just it's it's there in the song. It's like yeah, turn it off. We we should turn yes. the lights off, right? Like it's there, but not every. I don't know if everyone would think to do it, and it's just so yeah. fun. Yeah, it's brilliant. There's a reason that show's been running for oh, absolutely as long as it has. Yeah, and that's all. That's all. And Casey. we'll come back. That's all Casey. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's understanding of like what's all the things that are possible in in theater and musical comedy, and just utilizing all of them in one show. Um, I, it's it, it's it's great because the the show is so funny, but it also is just such a good story and so engaging, and that's why it's lasted as long as it has, and hopefully we'll be back when we all are back. Now, I need to ask you, because you mentioned earlier that, you know, we talk about you having these massive successes. There's, of course, some some low points as well. And the way that Hamilton ended up happening was after perhaps one of the most unthinkable low points with Nerds, the musical. Yeah, yeah. I um, was actually living in Los Angeles. I just moved out here, convinced my husband, Gerald, to to come to L.A., and because I'd done some TV shows out here and I was like, I think we should try to go look into adoption in California and, and set up here because it's just a little bit easier to go through all that. And uh, got an email while I was sitting with Josh Gad at a Starbucks here in LA saying an offer to play Bill Gates in a new musical comedy opening in two months. Uh, and it was, it kind of like, Gerald and I talked about it and we were like, well, we'll go do it. And we, I was like, who knows how long it'll run like Hamilton's this season. So who knows if there'll be room for this, but I should go try and, and do this. It's a lead in a Broadway show. And so I left and uh, rehearsed the show for two, a little over two weeks. And while we were singing the, the finale after learning the whole show, we were singing, live your dream. And the producer walks in and says, everyone go home. An investor dropped out. We will not be opening on Broadway this season. It was like fully out of smash. And uh, it, was, it was like there was a death in, a, in the family because, you know, it was sad for me, but I didn't even know the show existed six weeks before that. And for the people who worked on it for 10 years and the people who left their restaurant jobs to make their Broadway debut, it was just, I can't can't even describe how difficult that moment was. But our wonderful director, Casey Hushin, said, let's all come together tomorrow and run through the show. 
for ourselves and our designers and everyone who worked on it. And we did and had a lot of good laughs and good cries. I went back to LA and I was like, all right, Gerald, get me pregnant. I'm done with Broadway. (laughs) And he and I were just like, let's make a new, you know, like just go back to where we were, what we were going to do. And my agent called and she said, uh, what if you went back to Broadway? And I said, oh, I, I couldn't. I mean, that was just too heartbreaking. And she said, well, what if it was for the King and Hamilton? <laughs> and I was like, I'm on my way to LAX. I'm taking the red eye. And she literally said, wait, do you want to talk to Gerald before I tell them that you want to do it? And I said, no, I'll text him when I get there. <laughs> uh, but but it really, that it what happened was, is that the casting director for Nerds, the show that, imploded uh was also the casting director for hamilton and she was there at that run through of the show that day in the rehearsal room and she said wow rory's funny and i know he's free and jonathan groff that week had given his notice four months before the show closed or before his contract was up so he could do mindhunter on netflix something that just doesn't happen it's very rare for a cast member to be able to leave a show before it's been running for a year. So uh, I, I guess I just say that to be like, this was not on the radar. Sure. It's not like everyone was like, oh, who's going to take over for John and the Groff? It hadn't even been nominated for a Tony, the whole show. Like it was very early on. So it was out of the blue and um, really goes to show you in this business that you never know why things happen. I always say it's the best lesson and the worst because it happens so quickly like now, here we are in the middle of this, well, the middle in, in this pandemic, and we don't know <laughs> what's going to happen or why we've lost jobs, why we can't see shows right now. But hopefully, you know, people are starting podcasts, people are reconnecting with family members and friends, people are trying to go back to the basics of why they got into this business or love theater. And we will create new things and look back at this time as the reason for the, the wonderful things that we have now in the future. I love that. No, absolutely. So, you know, but I mean, they're, 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 that's me on a good day. And then on a bad day, I want to go up to that person in the future who says that this was all for a good reason and slap him in the face. <laughs> like, you don't remember <laughs> what this was if you think this was all for uh-huh. a good reason. But, you know, we kind of have to make the best of everything. And nobody does that better than theater folks because we're always we're always losing our jobs we're always trying to figure out new ways to make art and it's never easy this is an incredible challenge but you know we'll get through it we will get through it that was beautifully put rory thank you um and of course and wasn't when you went into hamilton wasn't that right as the presidential election was happening or or was that later okay Okay. Oh yeah, no, it was 2016. I started in April of 2016. We had like Hillary come to the show, you know, it was like, she's going to be president. <laughs> and, and, um, <laughs> and I'll, I mean, I'll never forget the day of the election, just watching the returns from my dressing room and everyone in the show, not realizing how things were taking a turn for the worst. And, oh, it was terrible and the next day was uh you know doing a show called hamilton about our country and freedom it was it was it was difficult i cried a lot like honestly the the audience's reactions were so much that they stopped the show during my second song and and were cheering and screaming because you know like when you're the king you're like you'll be back you know, just wait and see. The audience was hearing everything in a different way. And then just two weeks later, the vice president elect who had him. I remember this. uh, Came to see the show. And that was national news. And um, we made a statement to him after the show, which was a part of our Broadway care speech. You know, they made such a big deal. Like we stopped the show in the middle and, (laughs) you know, it was like, while we're collecting for money, you know, 
the vice president elect, anyone, no matter who the vice president elect would have been, they would have been acknowledged in some way. So we thanked him for coming and said, please represent all of us in your administration. And it was just like, you know, the, the tweets from his boss were relentless for weeks. Remember when that was a scandal? Like it's been, Oh yeah. It's been a long four years. God, I remember where I was when that happened with Pence at Hamilton. And, and then I remember I worked for Playhouse Square in an interim period of my life. And I was at the doctor's office and just ch- making, you know, normal Cleveland chat with the nurse. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to see everything on next season, except I don't think I want to see Hamilton. Just, I just think about that disrespectful thing they did to the vice president. And I was just like crazy. I know. Well, we had a lot of death threats and people saying things. And I was like, what, what part of the speech did you not like when we (laughs) said like, we hope you represent everyone you know, every race and sexual orientation. And, you know, it was, it was a very, especially now a very mild uh, speech. Absolutely. But yeah, it was a crazy, crazy time. Yeah, for sure. It, It was, you know, I have to say like being in Book of Mormon made me think, oh, I know what it's like to be in a hit, but, but, but Hamilton was not a hit. It was, uh, uh, a beast uh, that was uh, felt like it was out of control at times. You know, we always felt safe, but going to that stage door and, and watching people who were original cast members get chased down the street or um, having just the fury and protests and, you know, it was like, well, I just want to go to work. Um, it was yeah. a lot. It was exhausting. But that's kind of the price you pay of being a part of something that's that uh, impactful to the, the entire culture at, at a moment in time. And um, I'm so lucky that I just got to be on the sidelines and, and watch Lynn and all of them in the middle of all that. You know, the, the show didn't win any awards. It won the Pulitzer the week after I joined. So I always say, I don't want to take all the credit, Lynn, but. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. That is iconic. All right, Rory, I think we're going to start wrapping up sadly. now. And we like to, <laughs> sadly, I know, we like to wrap up on a dose of drama, which is where we kind of share the drama in our hearts, maybe something that's on our minds from the podcast or during this time of quarantine, um, anything that we might be thinking about, just kind of, you know, send ourselves away on a dramatic or semi-dramatic note. And I think I'm going to kick it off. Okay, so... One of my huge quarantine storylines has been that I've been binge watching. Well, first I did The Real Housewives of New York from start to finish. Important. And now I'm on very important. I think it changed. I think it changed my life. I'm just kidding. Well, maybe not. I, I would not be surprised by that. As my husband calls it the most important show on television. <laughs> He's correct, I think. Uh, it makes me miss New York, though, honestly, uh, being here in Cleveland. But so now I'm, I've started from the beginning of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and I'm several seasons into that. And I love it in a different way. I don't love it nearly as much as New York, but it's great drama. Um, and you know what? I'm feeling that I've always had this, like, this hunger inside me to live on the West Coast and watching Beverly Hills. I mean, and always, of course, Vanderpump Rules. And even like, you know, knowing Rory is in LA being out West, I'm like, when will my time out West be? I'm feeling like it's going to happen at some point in the next like five drama. years. Drama. I feel it. Drama. 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 Because New York is like, it's my favorite place in the world, but I don't know, something about the sunshine and, you know, a little more space feels appealing. It's great. I love it here. And I love New York. There's no greater city in the world than New York City, hands down. But you don't have to live in the greatest city in the world every year of your life. You're right. I love that. I love that. I'm kind of feeling that way too. You've, this has been in your, on your heart for a while, Connor. So It has. We went to LA last April and we had the time of our lives we mostly stayed in the West Hollywood area, but we made our way around and we, we loved it. I mean, it was just amazing to wake up and the weather was so wonderful and 
Everyone was laid back. You know? No, I, I, I love LA. You know, it gets a lot of shit from New Yorkers and rightly so. Like there's a lot of parts of Los Angeles that aren't great as every city has a lot of parts right. of it that aren't great, but it's beautiful here. It's a really nice place to have a family, especially with a young kid. And it's a great place to be, to be young as well. It's a little, little, little kinder, a little gent- gentler, gentler, I should say. <laughs> I hear that. Uh-huh. I hear that. All right. My dose of drama is it's quick, but it's just that um, as of the end of May, Ohio has slowly been reopening and I've got to say it feels all too soon. And I feel like there's all these pictures of people having these huge cookouts and parties and different things. I mean, even like now going to the grocery store, people have just stopped wearing masks. I'm just really worried if there's going to be an echo effect of, of COVID again, and it's going to push us back even further and it's drama. Please everyone's just continue to at least wear your mask and wash your hands. Yes. Wear your masks. Come on. It's not hard. Please. Mask for mask. <laughs> Rory, do you have a dose of drama today? Um, I guess uh, uh, the drama I've been watching on TV. Yeah. America. I don't know if you've watched Mrs. America at all, but you need to. It's so good. It's Kate Blanchett and a whole whole amazing cast of actresses including like tracy ullman um and isn't rose byrne on there yes she played she plays gloria steina and she's great um but kate blanchett plays phyllis schlafly which i'm still having trouble saying that name but she was a, a conservative uh who was very much against the equal rights amendment and for for women and it's this whole time period of the 70s and feminism and this movement and it's just like my blind spot of history of of knowledge and especially as like a gay man who worships women especially amazing women i guess my drama is i am i'm embarrassed at how little i knew about these women and these characters and it's really open my eyes to that and um, you know that the struggle is still happening decades later and that I want to keep doing what I can to support um, the the cause for for women uh, because I am definitely a feminist I love that Rory that's I'd love to check that out you're the second person to or second or third to recommend that show oh, to it's, us it's really good and 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 they've said the same thing they're like this is my blind spot or perhaps there hasn't been a lot of art about this time so they haven't been able to learn about it in a more accessible way that's not like a history class or you know what i mean so um love it drama it's a lot of drama on on it because they really do take take the take you inside to both sides of of conservative and and the women who were fighting for equal rights and it definitely has a viewpoint of like obviously the conservative side is, is insane but uh it's it's it humanizes them as people to try to like show who they were and it's it's fascinating i love yeah. it and it's very well acted and written i respect that that's so cool Well, unfortunately, we are at the end of our episode, but we just have to give you a huge thank you, Rory, because this has been so much fun. And Connor and I have long admired you. And even as you're talking, I'm just like, wow, the parallels of being young Irish Catholic boys in Cleveland. It just, you know, history, it goes on. (laughs) It sure, sure does. And obviously, you know, you had me at Cleveland. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like, I I think that keep, keep doing this, you guys, and keep, you know, you, you know, reaching out to other artists and having these conversations. Cause like I didn't start a podcast cause I thought, Oh, this is going to be my future. It's because I needed to talk to people. I needed to have those conversations, especially about the harder stuff that nobody was really talking about. And, you know, right now we need to talk to each other more than ever. So I'm happy to get to spend this time with you and get to know you guys a little bit better and good luck. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, know, I feel bad. We didn't even get the chance to talk about Broadway impact, but it being pride month, it's, it's so important to acknowledge your contributions too. Rory has been on the front lines for years fighting for marriage equality and just equal rights for us, for our people. Well, I was lucky enough to be, uh, at a, a, a 
a place in time and in a moment where I knew that we could motivate the Broadway community to into action. And of course they, they did. And, you know, we were able to do letter writing campaigns and bus trips to DC and, uh, we started a play called eight that was about the prop eight trial in California. And, uh, that play was produced in over 500 theaters all across the world for years to raise money for LGBTQ causes and for marriage equality and not just the United States, but around the world. So yeah, as, as it's, it's my privilege to get to be a part of that. Cause I get, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it was work, but it's also, I'm married. I have a son now, you know, that's why I was doing those things is so that I could have the same rights as, as everyone else. So. Well, thank you, Rory. Thank you. It's, it, it'll be felt forever and ever. And we had such a good time today. Um, if everyone wants to follow Rory and get more wisdom and more adorable pictures of young Jimmy O'Malley, um, you can follow him at, is it at Rory O'Malley just on Twitter and Instagram? On Twitter, it's at Rory O'Malley. And on Instagram, it's at Mr. Rory O'Malley. I'm a little more formal there. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> and of it. course, you can follow us at The Drama Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and follow me at Dylan McDowell. And me at Connor McDowell. All right, and um, Connor, we'll see you next time. Drama. Drama.